Hello, and welcome to the Agape House of Worship weekly podcast. Through this podcast, we hope and pray that you will be equipped and empowered to live the life that God has planned for you. If you are blessed by this message and would like more information, please visit our website at www.agapehousenj.org. Thank you, and God bless. topic that I uh, is it's kind of difficult to really teach uh, in an exhaustive way, but I, I know God uh, will give us the grace to go through it because I think it's very, very critical uh, to every believer to understand what balances and how we can apply it into our life. Our God is the most balanced God. He's most balanced. It's balanced both in his character, it's balanced even in nature, the way the nature is created, there is balance. If you look at nature, you'll see balance. It's also balanced in his truth, the way he reveals his truth to us. When you look at God's nature, God is very balanced in his nature. For example, the Bible says God is a God of justice, but he's also a God of mercy. He combines both. They look like two opposites, but God combines that, and that is why he is God. Amen. In Psalm 84, verse 11, he says, Our God is the sun and the shield. All right? His sun and his shield at the same time. He's so balanced in his nature. The Bible talks about God as God of love, but he's also a fearful God. Is a God that should be loved and should be feared at the same time. So there is such a balance in God's nature in a very, very divine way. In fact, the Bible talks about Jesus as the wisdom and the power of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. Wisdom and power, they express the balance in God's greatness. So wise and so powerful. And Jesus is a revelation of that. The human nature, however, is prone to imbalance. The human nature. Before I go into that, even the nature as God created it is balanced. There is night and day. We cannot take the exposure of day continuously, scientifically. Something will be wrong. So there is balance of night and day. Even the earth cannot take the exposure to the sun indefinitely. So there will be a time God hides the earth from the radiation of the sun. So there can be balance. There is a balance between human and plants. What we exhale is what they inhale. There is such a balance. There is a balance between land and water. So, even in nature, there is balance. Our human nature, however, is prone to imbalance. In fact, we are so prone to emphasizing one truth at the exclusion of others. God's truth is also revealed to us in a very, very balanced way. And it is because of our nature that is prone to imbalance 
that really exposes us to a lot of confusion and challenge and sometimes uh, destruction when it comes to our spiritual life. So the scripture, <coughs> the word of God, is, in fact we can say, it's a perfect equilibrium of divine truth. We're going to go through a few Bible verses uh, just to show that even in reading the scripture, especially when we approach it rightly as believers, we will see that the Bible or the scripture is really a perfect illustration of the equilibrium of balance that God really wants to teach us as believers. So it is very essential that we know the balance of truth on both sides and hold on to them so that we can really have a Christian life that is really reflect that really reflects God in his entirety. Praise the name of Jesus. May I also say that Jesus is the most balanced person that ever lived. Jesus is balanced in everything he did. He's, he's perfect. Perfect in all his ways. Perfect in the way he related with people. Before Jesus came, we have spiritual people that were very unbalanced. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they, were, they emphasized one truth at the expense of the other. In fact, Jesus had to accuse them that sometimes you emphasize the, 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 the minor aspect of the truth of God. So you neglect the weightier matter of the law and you cling into some, the, I mean, some of the ones that are not as weighty. They were so imbalanced. And because they were so imbalanced, they really destroy, damage a lot of people. In fact, he said, they win a soul and they make them twice as candidate of hell. Simply because of their imbalance. So it is very essential as we approach as Christians, and I know many of us have been Christian for a while. Many of us are relatively new. As you seek to grow in your Christian faith, to always seek to understand what is the balanced nature of God's truth as he reveals to us. Uh, in Isaiah Oza- chapter 7 verse 8, uh, uh, the, the prophet was calling the Israelites, actually a tribe, it's called Ephraim. He said, Ephraim is an unturned cake. A cake that is not turned. You see, when you, when you fry a cake or pancake, and I think uh, those of us who cook, right? You understand that? Some of us don't know you can actually make pancake at home. You, you don't only buy it at IHOP, you can make it at home. So when you fry pancake and you don't turn it, what happens? One side will be overdone, right? And one side will be not properly done. So, so God is trying to say you are not balanced, Ephraim. I mean, you are overdone on one side, burnt, and you are not undone. And a lot of believers, sadly, are like that. In fact, a lot of churches are like that. A lot of churches are like that. Overdone on one side and undone on the other side. And as we seek to know God, I think we should seek 
to understand what is the balance of the truth that God tries to communicate to us. I will start from First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, which is the passage that we read. First Peter 5, 8, if you read the NIV, which is you know, the standard version we generally read, it says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But if you look at that passage or that verse in the Amplified Version, and I, I really want you to look at that, it's displayed there. We put it this way. Try to explain what being sober really means. You know, being sober means being balanced. So be sober, which means wear balance and self-discipline. Be alert and cautious at all times. That enemy of yours, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, fiercely hungry, seeking someone to devour. So, the devil is seeking for believers who are not balanced. Alright? Who are overdone on one side and undone on the other side. So, when we are not balanced, we are exposed to manipulation of the enemy, we are exposed to his attack, and we are very, very, very vulnerable. When we grow as Christians, or when we emphasize one truth of God at the expense of the other, or we don't try to understand the balance of the divine truth of God. I'll go through a few verses to let you know that if you read the scripture carefully, you will see that God is always shouting about this. This is really, it runs through the thread of the fabric of the scripture. God, in revealing his truth to us, really wants to reveal it, tries to reveal it very, very hard in a very, very balanced way because he knows when we are not balanced, we are exposed to manipulation of the devil and destruction. I will, I, will, I will start with 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 19, it talks about faith. It's writing to Timothy. This is writing to a young believer. This is a young leader, rather. Timothy was considered an apostle, young, charismatic, dynamic. And Apostle Paul was mentoring him, and he wrote him this book, uh, that's what is called First Timothy. And he, told, he wrote him two letters, First Timothy and Second Timothy. Look at what he tells him here in First in one night. He said, "Holding on to faith and a good conscience." You see that he balanced that too. The two. He said, "Faith and what? Which some have rejected, and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith." So. He's really trying to teach him that if faith is not held with a good conscience, it can lead to destruction. That faith in itself can be like uh, acceleration to your car, right? But if you don't have good conscience to check you, you can make shipwreck of your faith. So you can destroy it. And if faith is a propelling force that wants you to go get this, you want to get, right? Isn't that one of the challenges or problems with faith movement? That 
good conscience sometimes get thrown away. So people are faithing another person's wife by faith, claiming things they, they're not supposed to claim. Or they claim things that don't belong to them. They lose good conscience. The conscience is messed up. Coveting things that don't belong to them all in the name of faith. And they say we're we are exercising faith. We are people of faith. If we claim it, if we name it and claim it, we're going to receive it. And he said, but yeah, I want you to have faith. But you must have faith with what? Good conscience. In John chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus is teaching us about uh, worship. And he says, God is spirit. And his worshippers must worship him in spirit and truth. That's also a statement that is teaching us balance when it comes to worship. Because worship, to really reflect God, must be in spirit and truth. The word translated spirit there is the Greek word called pneuma, pneuma, pneumatic, which Sometimes his soul, sometimes he's, if he, there are several words associated to it, his emotion, his heart, his blast, you know, pompous, you know. So worship must involve our spirit, our emotion, our soul. That means when we worship, worship must be arousing, right? But also worship must be based on truth. If you want to worship God, there's no, it must be based on truth. So that's how I assess songs, for example, worship songs. It's not just about having goose pimples. You can have goose pimples that is not based on the truth of God's word. If worship is not communicating truth, if, you know, if you listen to a song, ask yourself, what truth about God is this trying to reveal to me? Now, if he's emphasizing truth alone, there is no heart. It's also dry. It's also not honoring, right? It cannot engage us. So in a sense, worship must be both engaging and be based on the truth of God's word. Praise the name of Jesus. There's also another scripture that talks about zeal and knowledge. There are two scriptures that I will, I will quote. One is uh, Proverbs 19, verse 2. The NET Bible version says, It is dangerous to have zeal without knowledge. It is dangerous. Now, we need zeal. The Bible says we should never be lacking in zeal. Or spiritual fervor. We need fervor. We need, without zeal, nothing will be done. Zeal is passion. Right? Zeal is passion. Without passion, great things cannot be done. But he's saying that when you have passion, and, but you don't have knowledge, it's dangerous. It, it, it leads to someone that is not balanced. And someone that is not balanced will be exposed to the attack of the enemy. The enemy will take advantage of it. So it says, 
zeal without knowledge is dangerous. So is knowledge with zeal, without zeal. You can, if you, are, you can know all you want to know. If there is no passion, it will not change anything, right? It's not enough to just know we are supposed to do. There are people who just know what we are supposed to do in this church. But they know more than everybody combined. But they are still sitting down now. They go home and they, in their head they can tell us how the announcer was supposed to do the announcer. Oh, this church will be great if they can do this, do that, do that. But as lazy as the laziest person. No passion. No zeal. So the balance is we must have zeal. With what? With knowledge. Not one at the expense of the other. In fact, Apostle Paul was talking about the, 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 the Israelites. He said, brothers, in uh, Romans 10, one, you know, 1 and 2, he said, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Talking about Israel. For I bear them witness, verse 2, that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Right? They, they had zeal for God. Jesus told the, the, the Pharisees, said, you do err, not knowing the scripture, not the power of God. No, you have zeal, but not according to knowledge. In fact, they crucified Jesus because of their zeal. Do you know Apostle Paul killed Christians because of his zeal for God? It wasn't because of, he was so zealous for God, but not according to knowledge. So zeal without knowledge is very dangerous. I'll move to another one, another scripture. Acts chapter 4 verse 6. The apostle said, we will give ourselves, our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's balance. Prayer and the word. Sometimes we emphasize one over the other. Prayer, prayer, prayer is important. I suppose, oh, it's the word, it's the word. Without the word, the fact is, you need both. You cannot take one at the expense of the other. You can't emphasize one. They are both equally important. So they said, we will do two things. We give ourselves to both prayer and the ministry of God's word. How about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 26, verse 41? Watch and pray. That's balance, too. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. It's not enough to watch, but to be careful. Watch means being careful. You know, be circumspect. You know, be disciplined. You know, sometimes we can emphasize self-discipline. You know, being very, very determined, watchful, at the expense of God's power, which comes through prayer. So he said, watch and pray. That is the balance, you know, of that revelation that he's trying to give us there. We can go on and on and look at different aspects of our Christian life or the truth that God is trying to reveal. We can talk about the, the individual, our individual work with God and our corporate work with God. There's a balance. As a believer, you must find balance. There are some things that only you can do. Nobody can do for you. But there are things you cannot achieve as a Christian unless you do with other people, right? 
So there is the independence that we have as working with God individually, but there is also the interdependency that God has put in his word as a way for us to be what he has called us to be. Praise the name of Jesus. We can also look at prosperity. Let's look at our word of the year, for example. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper and be in health just as your soul prospers. So, there must be balance in our pursuit of prosperity. It's not enough to pursue physical, material prosperity without spiritual prosperity. So, in fact, he said, I want you to prosper and I want you both physically and materially as your soul prospers. He doesn't want to be a spiritual giant who is a jerk, but he's so spiritual. He doesn't want to be someone that is so just focused on material prosperity. Somebody says you can, someone is so poor, what they only have is money. You can have all the money you want, but you are still a very, very poor person when it comes to real essence of prosperity. Praise the name of Jesus. The Bible says the life of a man does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. Praise the name of Jesus. So there must be balance even in our pursuit of prosperity. Spiritual prosperity is is as equally important as material prosperity. Also, in our Christian growth, balance is something that is emphasized. And I'd like to use uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 52, that talked about Jesus. That's why Jesus is the most balanced person. And that is why he's our role model. Hallelujah. That's why he's worthy of being our model, model, the only model we can watch. Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. In Luke chapter 2, verse 52, the Bible says, and Jesus kept increasing. Somebody say, kept increasing. A believer must increase and keep increasing. It's not enough to just increase one year, to just increase last year, to just increase year before. No, you must keep increasing. The path of the just is like a shining light that shines more and more until the perfect day. Christian is, is, a, is, is a Christian life is a, an onward movement. It's not stagnancy. If you're stagnant, something is wrong. So Jesus kept increasing. Even though he was born as the only begotten Son of God, divine. But it kept increasing. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, you must keep increasing. Don't stop. Don't stop. You must keep increasing. Amen. Now, kept increasing in what? In wisdom and stature. In favor with God and man. Hallelujah. You can, you can see four things mentioned there. 
in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God, and in favor with men. So Jesus' growth was a balanced growth. His growth life has four legs. And he was growing in that. Now, if one outgrows the other, what happens? Becomes imbalanced. So we can look at Jesus, first of all, stature. That's physical health. Jesus was growing physically. In terms of his physical health, he was growing as a child. And he kept increasing, kept growing. But he was also growing in wisdom. That means mentally, his reasoning kept improving. Some people have not grown in wisdom in years. They still reason the way they reasoned years ago. As a poor exposure, lack of knowledge, lack of exposing themselves. They are growing physically. They are growing in age. They want everybody to respect them, but when they open their mouth, you have to plead the blood of Jesus not to talk to them somehow, like a child, right? Jesus was not like that. So Jesus kept increasing in wisdom. So our growth was, you know, it's not just how, how, how long we stay in this world. It's how wise you are. There's a spirit in man, the inspiration of, uh, of the Almighty gives them understanding. I think one of, the, one, of, one of the guys that visited Job was scolding the other people. He said, I, 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 I've been listening to you guys all along. He said, I, I said, wisdom should speak. I said, age. I wanted to give difference to age. But I didn't see wisdom coming out of these old people. That would not be your portion in Jesus' name. So Jesus increased in wisdom. But he also increased in favor with God. You see, favor with God means in his relationship with God. He increased in his spiritual maturity. He increased in his intimacy with God. Are you increasing in your intimacy with God? Is there growth in your prayer life? Is there growth in your study life? Is there growth in your understanding of God? Are you just someone that comes to church? The only time you open your Bible is on Sunday. Then next week, again, you can't grow that way. You can't grow in favor with God that way. But the good thing is you can grow in favor with God. If Jesus grew in favor with God, you can also grow in favor with God. <coughs> But the interesting thing is, Jesus also grew in favor with men. That means Jesus also grew in his relational maturity. You see, I mean, he, he grew. There's no point saying, oh, I'm a believer, I'm so spiritual. But by the time you talk, you're fighting everybody in your life. I mean, we can tell your mom, your dad, your friends your ex-friends, your husband. I mean, you can tell that there are people you talk to them, they have issues with every single person in their life. How they betray them, how they didn't do what they're supposed to do. They are not growing in their relationship with people. You must grow. You must learn how to deal with people. That's the essence of maturity. 
you must learn how to understand people, deal with people, you know, work with people in a team, outside of team, at work, at church. There's no point to say you are, of saying you are a matured Christian and you are full of strife, anger, bitterness, not happy with people. You know, Jesus grew in favor. Balance. Go. Turn to your neighbor. You must grow in a balanced way. Hallelujah. Now, you will notice that balance is not achieved by picking one over the other. You know, balance is balance is not reducing. You don't get a good car by reducing your acceleration so you can brake. No, you go and fix your brake. Right? If your brake isn't working, you're not going to say, you know what, the way I'm going to do it, I'm just going to drive slowly so I don't get into an accident. No, 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 no. I want a car with a good acceleration. V6, V8, you press it, it's going. That's great. That's, that's a, but I also want a car that the brake is working well. And it also has ABS, right? Anti-lock braking system. That's a backup brake for those of you who don't know. It kicks in when the re-brake, when the brakes fail, right? So you want, so the way to get balance is not to say, oh, I'm going to go and destroy my brakes so my car can speed very well. No. You go for both. Hallelujah. And that is really the, the importance of what I'm talking about. That. So balance is not, oh, I'm just going to, no, no, no. Balance is, I grew in my understanding of the, the two aspects, or the multi-faceted understanding of God. I grow in my love of God, but I also grow in my fear of God, because God must be feared. God is a, in fact, he says he's a fearful and terrible God. You can, you can, you can outuse your whatever with him, your, your, your favor with him. You can go to a point when he says, you know what, I've had it with you. And you can question him. So it's important for you as a believer to know that you must be balanced in your growth. Praise the name of Jesus. I've just finished my introduction for the message. Now we are going to go into the message. <coughs> Hallelujah. Today I'm going to talk in a few minutes about balancing two, two aspects that I, I think we struggle. We're going to go now and pick different aspects from today, you know, next week, and however the Lord will lead us. We're going to balance, talk about the balance between faith and planning ahead. I mean, if you're a serious believer, I think you must have struggled with that at some point. What is balance between walking by faith as a believer and planning ahead? Because the Bible emphasizes both. And sometimes they can seem contradictory, but we need both to really be what God wants us to be. Now, I'll start by reading, talk about what Jesus said about planning counting the cost in Luke chapter 14 uh, verse 28 
Jesus said, suppose one of you want to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and you are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying the person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Now, Jesus is very, very practical here. In fact, what led to this, maybe we should talk about it. What led to this was Jesus was actually talking about counting the cost of following him. He wasn't necessarily talking about building a house, but he knew that people can relate with that. Right? He said, look, I don't want you to follow me presumptuously. All right? I don't want you to do it presumptuously. I don't want you to follow me presumptuously. No. In fact, let me be clear with you. If anyone comes to me, does not hate his father and mother, wife, children, brother, sister, even their life, you cannot be my disciple. Let's be clear. And he said, whosoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So, I just want to be upfront that following me is not easy. In fact, if you want to follow me, I must be number one. Right? Not you. You can't even be number one. Not to talk of your wife, your father, your mother, your brother, your sister. If you want to deal with me, I am number one. That's what Jesus is trying to say. And he said, the reason why I'm telling you is, in real life, you count the cost when you want to build a house, right? You count the cost. If you want to build a house, you count, you look at your income or potential income, right? And you, you start a project that way. You don't just say, I am going to build water center that is going to cost billions and billions of dollars and I'm going to live in there. No, no, no. You are reasonable. That's how you live life. You plan. You, you, you base it on, you understand what it involves. There's another scripture that talks about the, the, the subject of planning ahead. Uh, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 through 8. Solomon, the wise person, says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its weight and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provision in the summer and gather its food at harvest. For the winter. Right? So that even ants, they are good planners. You should be better than the ants. Turn, turn to your neighbor. You should be better than the ants. If ants are better than you, then something is wrong. So you say, ants, they know that. You know why? Because ants know that winter is harsh. They can't come out. You don't see them in winter, right? They go to the deepest part of the ground because it's warmer there. And they stay there. But during summer, that's why they invade our houses. They go because they take food and they go store it there. So they go and they coordinate themselves and they do that. So they don't just see food during summer and eat and enjoy themselves. They all die during winter, right? So when they eat, maybe they eat half and they take the other half and they go store. And, they, and somehow they understand how long summer is. I mean winter is. Because they always have enough to sustain themselves. 
So the Bible emphasizes as believers here, planning is wisdom, planning ahead. And a lot of us struggle with this when it comes to, should I buy life insurance? You say, how can I be a person of faith and I'm planning for my death? Yes, you're going to die one day. I mean, so, so, so you, should, you better plan for it at some point, right? Or how, how do I plan for my retirement? Can't I just believe that God will just provide for me when I... No, 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 no. The Bible is saying here that it is very, very... You should not be presumptuous. In fact, it says, don't even go beyond that. Ask yourself, what kind of life do, do I want to live when I retire, Right? Then plan based on that. So, that is what the Bible says about the wisdom of planning ahead. Now, how do we balance that with faith? Doesn't that contradict faith? Doesn't the Bible say in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, For we live by faith and not by sight. In fact, to make it worse, Romans 14, verse 23, the latter part says, everything that does not come from faith is sin. And what is faith? Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain what we do not see. So faith dwells in the realm of the unseen. Right? Where planning dwells in the realm of the seen. Right? Planning is you are dealing with tangibles. Hallelujah. Faith dwells in the realm of the unseen. It's unseen, but yet by faith it becomes real and tangible to us. And that's very, very important. So, so where is the, what, is the, what is the balance of the two? How do we match the two as a believer? First of all, if you really dig deeper, they both, they are connected. Because what Jesus is teaching us is that faith cannot be based on presumption. You should not base your faith on presumption. No, faith does not mean lacking knowledge. Even knowledge of the problem. So when Jesus says, count the cost. He's saying, look, understand the cost of the project. Now, as a person of faith, it becomes a little different for you because understanding the cost can actually help you to apply your faith better. It can build your faith stronger if you're a person of faith. If you're not a person of faith, it can lead to the other way around. It can limit you. That's where you know the difference. Right? It will build your faith stronger because now you know how to approach God. Now you know what God wants you to do and what He wants to do. So, faith, planning, they work together just as we are partners with God in building our future. Praise the name of Jesus. Now, faith must be based on knowledge or understanding. Understanding of the problem of the challenge. Sometimes when we claim we are applying faith, we are ignoring the problem. In fact, 
Sometimes we actually avoid knowing the problem. Simply because we think we want to apply faith. No, no, that's not faith. Faith is knowing the problem, having the knowledge of the challenge, but refusing to be limited by our knowledge of the problem. Now, because we have a higher knowledge, we have a knowledge of our God. Praise the Lord. Faith must be rooted in our knowledge of the will of God. That's what that's our, our faith is. Faith is rooted in our knowledge of the will of God. So, while people of faith plan, people of faith do not limit their plan by their understanding. Praise the name of Jesus. People of faith do not allow their human wisdom to limit their pursuit in life because they understand that there is something about God that is beyond me because they understand His ways are not my ways. So I seek to know His ways. That's why faith only comes by knowing God. Faith is a function of our relationship with God. Faith is not spooky. Faith is not something that jumps on you. Faith is based on an intimate relationship with God. Jesus said, as I hear, I do. So I am not presumptuous. I hear God, that is why I go for what I go for. Praise the name of Jesus. Faith does not ignore sight. Faith just does not walk by sight. I hope you understand that now. Faith does not ignore the, the challenge. As you build your life, either your future, you understand the reality of what is, ahead, what, is, what, is, what is confronting you. But you must seek to have a higher understanding. There's there always, in our work with God, there's always a marriage between the two at some point. doesn't happen right away. So, the faith is of the heart. Right? Of course, planning is of the mind. But there is a, there's a merger of the two. Now, as people of faith, when we plan, we must plan with an eye of faith. Because if all our decisions are simply made on calculated decisions or calculation, what is going to happen is we're going to limit ourselves to only what we can do or what seems possible to us. We're not going to be able to attend things that are great. You're not going to be able to experience God's provision in a miraculous way if you don't leave room for faith. So as people of God, you plan, but you leave room for God in your plan. You leave room for God. You always say, you know what? If God is for me, how will I do something different? Now, 
The best way to approach this practically is to start from where you are now. What kind of a person are you? Are you a planner like me or are you a faither? People who there and most of us will start with a base. There's always something you are naturally inclined to. Some of us are naturally inclined to plan. Some of us naturally you start from just a faith standpoint. You just you're a big picture people. You just you're able to just go for it. Now Practically speaking, you, you assess yourself, you say, where, where I am. Now, if you are a planner, then you automatically know that you have a problem. Your problem as a planner is the, your inability to include God is the challenge you are going to have. So if you are a planner, you are likely going to be limited in life. That's what I'm telling you. You are likely going to, as a Christian who is just a so good of a planner, you're likely going to be limited. You're not going to take risk, which is faith. If things don't make sense up to the T, you're not going to go for it. So you're not likely going to be able to do many things. You're not going to do great things. You're not going to go into ministry. You're not going to, if you're a pastor, you're never going to do something great. It has to make sense to you tomorrow, up to the T. So you know that is your challenge then you now begin to walk on that. That means when you, your natural tendency is to plan, then you always have to go back and say, you know what, where is faith in this? Alright? So you walk back. Everything you do, you always have to ask yourself, is there a God factor? Have, have I planned God out of my life? And many of us are like that. We plan God out of our life. Completely. God is all in the name of being realist, all in the name of being, telling, I'm just plain, I'm a planner, I, all in the name of that, you can find yourself so limited that after many, many years, you see other people who can take risks, who can believe God, who can, you know, risk embarrassment. You know, sometimes you risk embarrassment, right? Look at how we built this building. There was a risk of embarrassment, right? That it wasn't going to happen. It was huge. But there was also an enormous amount of plan, right? There was an enormous amount of plan because there are some things you have to offer God. There is an area where you are limited. You now say, God, if this is what you have shown me, then you have to come in here. Praise the name of Jesus. Now, if your natural inclination is to go for faith first, you also know that you have a problem. Right? Because don't forget, our natural inclination is to really go out of bounds. If your natural thing is to go for faith first, then you automatically know that you have to walk back to say, have I really faith realism out of these things? Right? Have, have I really undermined myself or made myself lazy? Because what, what it does, because we are human, in the name of faith, we can be so lazy. You can so trust God and not study well, for example. 
I mean, you study, but not very well. You just, you always look for something to do, excuse, something good, something nice. You read your Bible, you go to service, <laughs> you know, you go to choir practice, you know, you do all these things in your mind. You're trying to say, you know, I'm doing something for God. Uh, God, you better do something for me when I just enter into the exam. So you enter into the exam speaking in tongues, and you are disappointed that God does not show up. Because, you know, God doesn't bless reasons. You know, once in a while he has mercy, but sometimes he says, you know, I need to teach this, this kid a lesson. So if you have someone like that, you know that you need to. So we all need balance. That's the essence I'm trying to say. No matter where you are starting from, you need balance. So you need to ask yourself, have I really become lazy because I am banking on faith? Have I left what I was supposed to do undone? So as a child of God, you know that, you have to admit that balance is not natural. All right? But we can't really experience God unless we pursue balance. So how do you apply that in your life? Don't say because I'm a person of faith, I'm not going to plan for my retirement. That's wrong. That will be against the scripture. But don't plan for your retirement at the expense of living, doing something basic that you're supposed to do. So we can't see you, you can't serve God, you know, you're working two jobs to plan for your retirement. You can't even enjoy your family, your wife, your death, you know, don't go crazy over that. Don't put your whole faith on your effort of planning. So you find a balance. Don't say, because I'm a person of faith, I don't need life insurance. No, 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 no. If you are a person here that is 30 years old, maybe even less, you don't have life insurance, you're doing something wrong. That, that's... Let me, let me take it back. If you don't have life insurance, but you have half a million dollars somewhere, that's fine. So you're not doing anything wrong, right? Yeah, you are great. I mean, you just have, it's in, the, it's in the market, it's great. Especially if you have dependents. There's a story of a prophet that died, and they came to take his wife and children, but he was a prophet. So, it, it can happen. He, he failed to plan for his family because he was so consumed with the Lord's business or whatever he was doing. So, so life insurance is that half a million dollars that you don't have in the bank. Right? Quantify that. And you, maybe you pay 30 or 40 bucks a month to take care of that. So that's very, very important. So you should apply that to every aspect of your life. How do I plan for future? But in your plan, don't plan and leave God out. I'm out of time. I'm going to read a few scriptures that I feel would help to bring everything together. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5. The plan, I want all of us to read it together. Let's go. One, two. The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. 
if you are a diligent person, your plan will always room, leave room for God. Alright? Don't be hasty. Plan. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Can we read it together? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Where must our trust be? Huh? Not in our plan. Did you get that? So always ask, if you're a planner, ask yourself, where is your trust? Because if your trust is in your plan, in fact, God can ensure that plan doesn't work. So, as a child of God, you have to always say, lean not on your own understanding. No, it doesn't say don't have your own understanding. Some people misinterpret that they mean, they think it means don't have your understanding at all. Just check your brain out and just live like you have no brain. No, 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 no. Have understanding, right? But don't lean on it. Look at what verse 6 says. In all your ways. Have your ways. Doesn't say don't you you have something. But do what? Acknowledge. So when you have plans, always ask, have I acknowledged God? Don't say, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to move here. I'm going to move to this place. It's better there. You know, I can do this. I can do that. You know, I can calculate this. I can do that. Many of us, that's how we run our life. And that's why we run from crisis to crisis. Because the best crafted plan by us is still a plan that is subject to a lot of challenge. All right? So, you should always say, God, what are you saying? Because sometimes God leads you to somewhere that doesn't look like it's right. The Bible says the Spirit led Jesus to the wilderness after he was filled with the Holy Spirit. If he wasn't led, he won't go to the wilderness. If, he had, if you're, just, you're just filled with the Holy Spirit, you don't go to the wilderness. You go to somewhere great. The Bible said when there was problem between Abraham and Lot, there were challenges between their ex-men. You know, they said, let's divide. Lord, uh, Abraham offered Lot. said, pick first. Lot looked up. He saw the best place, right? This is the green place. This is that. This is that. And he picked it. He was being stupid. You were there in the first instance because of Abraham. Yes, you said, no, 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 no. How is that going to I can't pick for before you. He, he did it by sight. And what happened? A few years. Taken. Everywhere taken. So sometimes your best plan needs you need to always check it with God. Acknowledge Him. And He shall direct your path. Let's bow down our heads and pray. I want us to go before God and just, first of all, acknowledge that we are, we are human. We are weak. We are imbalanced. We are all prone to this very, very dangerous, dangerous temptation of being undone on one side and being overdone on one side. Emphasizing one truth because he feels better to us over the other truth. Let's pray, Lord, we are sorry. And we acknowledge this weakness. And that is why we need you. Lord, I need you. I need you in my life. 
I refuse to trust in my ways, in my plan. I put my trust in you. The Bible says some trust in horses. Some trust in chariots. But we put our trust in the name of the Lord. They fell, but we are standing. Those who trust in God, they will succeed. Those who put their hope in God. Father, teach me to put my hope in God. But also teach me to not be lazy. To not abscond my own responsibility of planning. Above all, teach me the balance. Thank you because you have answered our prayer. In Jesus' name, we are praying.